Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. You've been trying your Batman voice lately? I've been doing too much Batman voice. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am I'm, Batman. <laughs> actually, I felt like the voice was actually not really he wasn't, as exaggerated. No, he he definitely wasn't as exaggerated, and they gave him nose holes this time. So, um, oh, I, I should note that we are discussing the Batman <laughs> for when uh, people people listen to this, but we are discussing the movie The Batman today. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the first thing we can discuss is uh, Robert Pattinson's performance as the Batman. Because before this was coming out, there were, as there always are these days, um, there were rumors. Like, people were trying to say he was too much of a uh, diva on set or something. And maybe he was before the reshoots or something. I don't know. Like, that's the thing. Like, you're not going to know if this movie was a horror story until either 20 years down the line after it's been made or if it's a complete bust and then all the horror stories come out like look at the fantastic four movie by um josh trank right uh they fired the director and you know it came out it's because he was he himself was a diva like the room he like his hotel room or whatever for certain filming was like a complete that was completely trash stuff like that um dude was too much drama i guess um so yeah, and obviously, like you know, he was in this movie series franchise that everyone loves to hate. Even though most yeah. of the people who hate the Twilight movies have never probably actually seen the Twilight oh, movies. No, 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 no. It, no, I was just talking about Josh Trank there. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Josh Trank. But I know. Sorry, but switching to Robert Pattinson and Batman, like if you were there was, yeah. I think people were looking for an excuse to hate Robert Pattinson in this role. As Batman. Yeah. And that's and the he's funny a, thing. He's sparkly vampire man. You know, he's not like a, a an actor of any quality or whatever. And so we have to hate him. He's probably a diva. He's probably the worst or something. You know what I mean? Which is... It might be true. Yeah. Well, he, he might have been a diva. It depends. Because the thing is, it's funny because technically his first big role, I think, was a Cedric Diggory in a, uh, the fourth Harry Potter movie. Um, oh, yeah. That's true. And when you think about that, it's like, oh, wait, he did a much better job than he did as playing whatever the guy's name is in Twilight. And Have you ever seen any of the Twilight movies? Not really. I think I've seen clips. Hey, Matt, like, I've seen about 30 minutes of the first one. He may have actually done a, a brilliant job with the material that he was given. That he was given. It's kind but of just like because a, it is bad yeah. material, we're just, you know, he's going to be perpetually judged for that unless well, he's amazing. It, it's kind of like the prequels, right? Like, does anybody seem like they're a good actor in the Star Wars prequels? And I know, like... Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, yeah. But, like, for the most <laughs> part, it's a- like you, you watch those movies and... You know, I don't know if it's because George Lucas wanted everyone to be stoic or if it was just he struggled to direct, but or, or was the writing material in some cases. Um, but that's the thing. It's like one of those things where it's like maybe it's not the actor. Maybe it's the movie. And so um, there's other stuff that Robert Pattinson did that's really good, actually, where he's proved that he is a good actor. But yeah. I guess most of it didn't make enough 
Well, that's the thing. Most of them weren't big mainstream movies, I suppose. Like, the last movie I knew of was him and Willem Dafoe in The, the Lighthouse, which I still need to see. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to give movie snobs proof that, oh, wow, this kid's got acting chops after all. But is your average moviegoer that's going to be looking forward to the Batman, are they going to see that and be like, are they going to even know that movie exists, right? This television aspect ratio black and white film released in the 2010s, like late 2010s, you know. No, they're not going to know. They're not going to know that. So, um, right. So, anyway, so enough enough meta commentary. So, this actual movie, The Batman. Yeah. Well, so one. Why is it called The Batman? uh, Firstly, to differentiate it from Batman Tim Burton's. um, Like that's true. Actually, I think. I mean, if you really want to get into it, I think part of it is because remember this is early in his career, where he's an. Hmm. So, because think so, about sorry. Like, it's, it's so, something of, I was actually thinking about while coming out of the movie that relates to this is, and I noticed it in this maybe more than other ones. He doesn't define himself as the Batman, right? At no point in the movie does he say, "I'm Batman." Um, that's true, or anything like that. That's true, and and it actually that is something that maybe adds some degree. Like the Riddler isn't like. You know, I'm Edward Nigma, the Riddler. Um, it's like it's the. Did they ever even call him the Riddler in the movie? I don't remember. Yeah, nobody even actually actually calls him the Riddler. But like, I was thinking about the way, like the Unabomber, the Zodiac Killer. Like the media does the love media, to give yeah. these figures some kind of catchy name. Because the and first so I almost time. Think it, the first time anyone in the movie asks him, like, who are you? His answer is, I am vengeance, right? He doesn't even give yes. himself a name. He, he just says, I am vengeance. And that's going to partially define the film. Because this movie especially really looks at what does it mean to be a vigilante it's trying to examine what it means to be a figurehead like this right like as you said like the 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 unabomber isn't doesn't call himself that um all these people like the media gives names to identify um zodiac killer as you said um i'm trying to remember i feel like there was another one but summer of sam's was coming to mind but that's not exactly the same thing. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. Like you're, you're, you're correct. I'm going to let you continue on your point. I mean, that was basically just my, my point. Well, I think it, it adds a, I think it allows you to add a little bit more, I don't know, weight, weightiness to it a little bit more by realism in some sense. Yeah. When characters aren't running around calling themselves stupid names. Yeah. Um, instead it's something like the media gives them that name. Like, the media refers to him as the Batman. There's there's a little bit of that in even, I think, um, the, the the other movies too. Like even the Nolan movies, there's a little bit yeah, of it. The Nolan movies, maybe but, more. I, it's just something I, I never. I may have. I'm look now. I'm looking back and wondering how many movies have done this, but it it stuck out more to me. Yeah, I feel like with, Iron Man's the only one where it's like he just straight up goes up. Yeah, I'm Iron Man. Uh, 
But I think yeah. even then the the media had already given him that name, right? It's like, who is this Iron Man or whatever? Um, I am Iron Man. But um, I think... Well, the, the Keaton Batman, he identifies himself as Batman. And I, oh, and that's I true. He does tell people that, right? Actually, no, even... Yeah, no, then Christopher Nolan's films even do have the, I'm Batman. Um, yeah. But then again, do they take that? Because most of the time I feel like it's like, oh, where does the name come from? They show a newspaper, the Batman, the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there it is. That's my name or something like that. Like mo- that's how most right. of these movies do it, right? This one though, it's much more it's not like an origin for the name. You're right. Like it's called The Batman for a very specific reason. Um which we'll probably get more into in well, do we need to go into spoiler territory to discuss some of it? Cuz really uh, a lot of what this it, it's funny because I had just over the holidays, right? streamed with Seamus Young the Batman Arkham Origins film, and I feel like uh, film game, and I feel like a lot of what that game was trying to do with uh, the the character arc, this movie actually managed to do better, and at the mm. same time not. Um, but maybe we should start with broad strokes before we get into the the finicky details. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll probably probably get some some slightly broader strokes here. So I think basically you and I are both coming in, uh, well, we've already talked about it, so I know we're both coming Mm -hmm. in, generally having liked this movie. You've seen it twice. I'm waiting for, in a couple of weeks, it's going to come on to HBO Max, so I'm waiting for that to rewatch it, Um, because I did see it in theaters, and every time I go into a movie theater, I'm dissuaded from ever going back ever again. Um, Oh, man, I saw it, and so I didn't get the, like, full immersion experience, but I had like the shaky seats and stuff, and it's just so ridiculous. Wait, really? You got into one of the? Have 40- you been? In, yeah, have you been in one of the like the? I, so there's no. ones that have like smoke and stuff. This one just had like, I feel like there was some. There was like speakers that were like in your seat, maybe, and the seats shook, like when the in different scenes and stuff like that. I, I don't it was kind of cheesy. Like I, I, I remember all that like Back to the Future, the ride stuff from when I was a little kid, uh, where you get into the fake DeLorean and the whole thing shakes to the whatever's on the yeah. screen, and that was fun enough as an amusement park ride. But I don't know if I want to do that for an entire movie, especially when so, so much of the movie experience has. Like I'm an observer, right? That's my role in the movie is to observe. So, so somebody, one of the like, I one some like Gizmodo or something. One of their editors went into this some kind of full immersion movie theater thing with like smoke rising up out of the ceiling and like things that would like mist you with water when characters got wet. And he was saying like, this is the wrong movie for that. Like this is. Like, a serious movie that's trying to actually, like, have some weight to it. Some, man, my my language, (laughs) I don't have the words tonight. Um, Some amount of anything. But, like, that that would be perfect for, like, Fast and the Furious 9 or 10 or whatever they're on. Um, Fast 10, your seatbelts. That's going to be the name of the new movie. But the like but it'd be perfect for that kind of movie to like have the rumbling and have like yeah for the know, car chases and everything yeah you, right. you want but that that's kind like of it's thing. just like when it's just more like dumb fun but this is not like dumb fun and this so is, yeah this is 
very carefully shot so when the guy walks out of frame, you notice there in the darkness behind him is your villain. And it's creepy, right? Like you want to be, you want the visual to be surprising and creepy and make you unnerved. Um, Which also begs the question of this is a PG 13. This is a PG 13, the Batman, but for the most part, it feels like it's, this is not the Batman movie to bring your kids to. Definitely um, not the Batman movies. This is definitely this is PG thirteen by way of like them getting a very specific list of things they needed to remove. I'm guessing to make it R, and shaving all of those things within like milliseconds of you know like the blood splatter or well that's the thing there wasn't really heads a lot getting of beat in and stuff like that you know everything was like like this is this is an R rated movie. With with just enough milliseconds removed of the violence and creepiness to make it PG, yeah, it, it, it's well. That's the thing. It's it, it's not even that because it's like they they filmed it knowing okay, as long as we don't show the moment of impact, as long as we don't show uh, the blood splatter, like you could have blood in this representation, blood represented this way. We avoid this kind of language, but you're right. It's like this is a very mature take on Batman and this is the least child friendly and probably least aspirational, even mm. though that's kind of the point uh, uh, up until the end of the movie, right? Um, about what it means to be this kind of a symbol and what you're a symbol for um, and the me- the signal, you're, the, the message you are sending with your actions kind of a thing. Um, yeah. To that end, like, it, it is, this is not the movie for children. Like, teenagers, yes, but even then, it's, because teenagers can get the wrong, like, I mean, we were teenagers once. We, we would look at something and be like, yo, man, that's really cool, and you got, like, the wrong idea out of it. You had to grow up to be like, I, oh, I wait. to do is see, see all the Joker memes. All the Dark Knight yeah. Joker memes still floating around to know that, yes, teenagers can get the totally wrong idea and, you know, buy like a Riddler was right t-shirt or something. Yeah. Or, you know, the 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 Joker Harley hashtag relationship goals kind of a thing when it's like, no, no, you no. missed the point. But um, no, the, to. to that extent, though, um, we've already I've, I've dig- we've digressed to the point that I forgot where we originally were. Um, oh, you're talking no, about that, kind of the oh, tone. Yeah, we were talking about the, the tone and movie theaters trying to. But that's the thing. Like this is clearly, and, and that's the thing. The 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 inspirations Matt Reeves had discussed when he um, was making the movie were two things. One of which he was listening to a Nirvana album, which I know he plays the one song like three times in this film. Um, but what's and, funny is that song's I, I I was just I had it in my head that song's actually on Nevermind, but the song the album he was talking about was in Utero I think that's what I thought but, yeah um, yeah but maybe that was more popular maybe maybe that was more popular might have just been in Utero is like so if if it's kind of interesting that he picks that mo- that album because to my hearing like 
So if you go back, if I, I, you haven't listened to much Nirvana, right? I mean, if my I'm brother gonna... has, but I won't different. I won't be able to differentiate what album what song is off of. Okay, so there's basically there's three there's three Nirvana albums: there's Bleach, Nevermind, and In Utero. So Bleach is a lot more dissonant, cacophonous. It's a lot more like punk, experimental noise. That's like kind of where this came from. And Nevermind is like much more accessible, especially the first half of the album is just like very much like they, you know, they got in the studio with a producer who managed to distill this energy into something that's more or less pop music. Marketable, and yeah. Marketable, right. And then In Utero is Kurt Cobain hated the fact that the music they wrote on Nevermind was so marketable and went back and and made an, another album that was maybe not quite as experimental and noisy as Bleach, but was that much more so than Nevermind where he tried to sort of get back some of that counterculture energy that make it make a less accessible, less marketable album because he hated how much um, he felt like he sold out on Nevermind. Now, here's, so it's kind of like an interesting. Um, here's a question I want to ask you because I'm, this is the thing, like my brother was a teenager when Kurt Cobain took his own life. Um, or Courtney Love killed him, whichever theory you prescribe to. Uh, and I was just a kid. But then I remember when I went to high school, you had all these people wearing shirts with like Kurt Cobain with angel wings and stuff. So when Matt Reeves says, you know, he wanted he, like, you know, listening to Nirvana and stuff, he wondered what if Bruce Wayne were more like Kurt Cobain and, you know, this introverted and uh, insular, maybe not insular, but more removed, like, character that happened to have money. You know, like, do you think Matt Reeves played closer to what that idea might have been? Or, because I feel like there's, because there's who Kurt Cobain was, and then there's who Kurt Cobain is believed to be by a hmm. lot of people. And... It's hard. I, 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 it's hard to really think because basically, like his, his attitude, right? Um, like my brother talks about, like he had a T-shirt in high school where it was the male seahorse on the front giving birth to baby ones, and then the entire back of the shirt is describing that the male seahorse is the only male in the uh, animal in the world that basically gives birth to blah 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 blah. And at the very bottom, it said, "This is a Nirvana T-shirt," and the whole point is like you only someone that's a nirvana fan would get it kind of a thing or like a real nirvana like not some poser that's going to buy the t-shirt but only listen to three or four songs um that was the whole point of a shirt like that and that was kurt cobain's kind of a thing because he wrote the text for the t-shirt on the back um so to that end again do you think this bruce wayne is true to that idea or is it still just and this is technically off topic because it doesn't really impact the film itself i'm just curious um so i mean i'm not like I, i've definitely read quite a bit of on the subject i'm not like the like definitive expert here so yeah i mean i definitely think this is more of a the 
a somewhat self-loathing Bruce Wayne to some degree. Um, in the way that he he's like, right, he doesn't unlike other depictions, he doesn't sort of revel in the, he's he's not having any fun with the money, right? Like, or pretending to. It's more accurate to or say. Or he's not even pretending to, but you kind of yeah. get, you know, he's still having, he's, he's still clearly having a little bit of fun, like Christian Bale more, where, you know, Michael Keaton played it as more of a sort of a reclusive playboy, but he still spends most of his time in this lavish Wayne manner. You know, Christian Bale, I think, played up more of the, the, the billionaire playboy angle with uh, the using the you know Russian ballerinas or whatever it was as cover to yeah to go and all that kind of stuff where this feels more like he spends most of his time in the basement I feel like in the Batcave not actually in Wayne Manor he's not uh, yeah he, he he people talk about who is it the only person more reclusive is Carmine Falcone in the setting who himself is a mobster. Um, and that's the thing you have this mobster that's reclusive and you have Bruce himself is reclusive and living in the shadows. And of course that's partially intentional too. One of the things that they yeah. do with this is a lot of mirroring between, and that's so, in some ways that's always what you do with Batman, right? A lot of his villains are a sort of reflection, like Scarecrow as an example, instead of going to the Joker, like everyone does Scarecrow uses fear just like Batman does, in a sense, right? Batman's whole reason for being the symbol, for being more than just a man, is to drive fear in the hearts of criminals. And so that's exactly the specialty that Scarecrow uses and what happens when that tool gets flipped right back onto Batman himself. Um, but here, there's a lot of other traits that are being done um, some of them are obvious, some of them are your typical kind of movie things, but then when it comes to something like Carmine Falcone, right, it's that you have these two figure figures where he's reclusive, he's avoiding, you know, the, the normal, the, the, the legal way of life, you could even say, and living life at night on the streets where, you know, danger lurks. And isn't Carmine Falcone doing the same thing, right? He's not a legitimate businessman he's mm. doing his business you know away from where your where common eyes can see kind of a thing yeah and you could even see that in the 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 club that's central to the plot where you know the it's, it's technically sort of like his the club, real right? club is the is the underground part it's not the it's not the part that's that's visible to Near the regular clientele. Yeah. It's, it's not it's again, actually Penguin's club. Penguin is using his club as a front for Carmine Falcone's club. Right. And it, 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 there is, there's definitely a lot of interesting narr narrative parallels. And I think that is one of the reasons why this is, despite the fact that we've had, you know, this is... How our, many Batman films? Yeah, and how many Batmans? Yeah, right. This is kind of like our fourth movie Batman franchise in the last thirty years. Yeah, but I think it's things like that that made it feel a lot fresher than I thought it would. Um, 
because this is like this is almost like Batman with you know if Nolan Christopher Nolan I think really captured Batman as a movie in terms of are you know, artistically speaking Batman as a as a big Hollywood film as a blockbuster right yeah um, in a lot of ways I think you're right well, I mean, Tim- you just, it's full of like even more so like the Tim Burton films were weird. Well, for me and you, like I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna you, ignore you, forever in Batman and Robin. You, you, the Tim, yeah, the Tim Burton films were Tim Burton films. Well, that's the they thing. You, were, you recently, you recently went back through um, the Sam Raimi Spider Man mm-hmm. films, right? And yes. we've we talked a little bit about it because your response in this case wasn't much different than mine, where. You know, you go back to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and it's like, oh, it's like I wrote on my blog, you know, and I think we'd mentioned this a couple weeks ago in another podcast, but it's like the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man is a Spider-Man film by Sam Raimi. Like, that's what it comes down to. Sam Raimi's thumbprint is on there really heavily. And the same goes with Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah, The first Tim Burton's Batman, Batman's not really the main character. The Joker is. And the same mm-hmm. goes with Batman Returns. Batman's present, and he's there to do what the superhero needs to do. But the movie's really about the Penguin and Catwoman. It's right. not about Batman. And in some ways, that's just kind of par for the course for some Batman stories. Because in a lot of ways... Because what is Batman, right? Depending on your depiction. Like, if you're the Batman animated series Batman... You're Batman. You've had your character arc, and this is who you are now. It's about what happens when you take Batman and put him up against different situations. And that reveals the interesting story, and what it does is provides an opportunity for interesting villains. That's why when the animated series reinvented Mr. Freeze, he became he went from being a C-list gag villain to an A-list villain of Batman's. And it worked because you revealed like, oh, we can have Batman really challenged because Batman, like Batman's got this rigid rule set. He is un, um, I, my vocabulary is terrible today too. Um, unbreakable. I'll call it. He, he will not yield on his rules and therefore he will try to reach Mr. Freeze, but he will not give Mr. Freeze leeway. Um, and that makes, you know, those stories, that character, those characters interesting. Um, and Christopher Nolan's Batman was a weird mixture because it's funny. I just watched a little bit of clips and highlights of The Dark Knight before this podcast. And it's actually interesting, some of the parallels of this film. But at the same mm-hmm. time... Uh, okay, so firstly, at the same time, Christopher Nolan did the best or maybe like the perfect Batman Joker story in that film. Um, at this point, I don't I don't want to see any more Batman Joker stories. Like even when it comes to like, the yeah. Arkham games, right? I think we should be done with the Joker for at least a long time until someone could do something properly fresh without that the shadow of and also like once upon a time i feel like trying to do the joker so soon after heath ledger passed and having done this great role 
Like, that would have been considered distasteful and disrespectful, and yet it feels like, you know, everyone's in a rush to do their own Joker. And it always falls short because, you know, what Christopher Nolan put together really gets that relationship. Um, yeah, and does and it better... Yeah, I feel like we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit um, with Joker talk. Um, <laughs> but see, I wasn't going to say yeah. anything there. But uh, no, the but, uh, the the um, but no. Well, so like the relationship the, the, between right the it's it's what it gets well is the relationship between what this the Batman does is it's the relationship between Batman. And his villains. Well, it's also again that, the arc too, because again going to Chris. Because I'm sorry, I digressed too long, but Christopher Nolan's trilogy really is basically about how Batman saves Gotham in three steps. He literally mm-hmm. saves Gotham in the first film. He saves Gotham from itself in the second film, and then he allows Gotham to save itself or helps Gotham save itself in the third one. Because it comes down right, to he in order a leader he, essentially in in the, in the final one. Yeah. Sort of rather than tr- than doing it all by himself. And what that means, like, and that's the thing, like, I, I like Christopher Nolan's movies as their own little standalone thing. But with what Matt Reeves has started here, part of me, part of me feels disappointed we didn't get to see a better, because after seeing the extended cut of the Justice League, I think Ben, firstly, Ben Affleck could have been a good Bruce Wayne. Um, whether he could be a good Bruce Wayne and Batman, he feels more like it in the extended cut of the justice league. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, but would he be able to do his own good standalone film? And I don't know. Um, but I do think we do, we, we had a lost missed opportunity there. Um, though part of it's because Batman versus Superman exists and was totally the wrong Batman. Um, but this one this 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 one with Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves writing and direction feels very much like they're trying to create an arc that again Batman Arkham Origins tried to it's is that younger angrier uh hmm. Batman that is very focused on the mission and he has to learn a lesson by the end which i guess that i'll save for like spoiler talk i guess um yeah, that's kind of the spoiler talk um, segment of the. I mean, there's of the 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 conversation because yeah, because that's sort of where for me also where the I think in the final act the the movie starts going a little bit downhill for me. And I'm wondering if this is like uh, a modern Hollywood thing or because. Even the Dark Knight, like again, like I'm looking at the Dark Knight, and like the movie is so great up until you get to the two boats portion, and well, then even it, so, like I, I, I agree, the Dark Knight, like I guess what it what it felt like, yeah, I mean, there are some parallels between the two boats. The, that, well, that, that part I'm not really making a parallel, but it's just like parallel, at some like, point it feels contrived. Like, okay, we have all of this, but now we have to wrangle and force the script into something that feels like the final act of a movie, as opposed to letting right, so, the characters be. I don't know. Like again, so again, we're gonna we're gonna end up in spoiler territory here. But so what I felt like is it, it didn't. 
it almost felt like you had a final act and then like they almost it was like they forgot like oh yeah like we need to give batman some more character development so let's like make this movie 20 minutes longer um yeah is kind of is that that was i think the issue the issue with the batman versus um other versus the, yeah. the dark knight but so i mean i think we have we've covered a lot of the stuff like this yeah, I is, think there was I think there was something because we were kind of we were kind of talking about each like how each director was and I I think I got so sidetracked I never got I never actually got to my point about how starting with Tim Burton those were Tim Burton films we'll forget about Joel Schumacher <laughs> um and then you know the Nolan films were largely I just to me were like these sort of smart blockbuster type movies and this yes. almost feels more like an like an art house batman if i that, wouldn't say if that, that even that i mean but, but maybe that's not because i've seen art house, art house yeah no, 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 not quite art house but there's a i mean he's based off well okay that's the other thing he he's heavily inspired by seven and being a big david fincher fan i can definitely see where the influence is beyond just certain maybe it's sur- just, super, like surface L, uh, level stuff. Um, maybe to some degree, it's then it's, it's really just Batman as sort of more of a horror thriller. Than... That's part of it. But see, the thing is, uh, you don't see a lot of films where directors have their raw. Sim- it's funny because I was watching uh, Red Letter Media talk about Dark Man, which was another Sam Raimi film. Yes. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that film where the way it's shot, it's like this is a signature style and it's a signature tone too. Like this this sort of goofiness where it isn't, isn't serious. And they make comparisons to where you have, again, like John Watts directing the new Spider-Man films. And why do you do that? Because John Watts isn't a visionary director. He's a director for hire. And that's what a lot of Hollywood feels like. And in part, maybe because of executives or something like Christopher Nolan's an interesting director because you watch him to see, um, good editing and good practical effects, but he doesn't necessarily have an eye for a meaningful shot, right? He doesn't always have the, like, sometimes he does, but he's not the kind of director that you're going to be able to just grab uh, and speaking of, I just realized I did not put on the um, screenshot slideshow. Um, he doesn't so have right he doesn't have the 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 same eye that's going to have like this is a wallpaper or this is like this is like a great still photo, right? Um, and the funny thing is with Matt Reeves, you can actually see it a number of times in this film, and partially in visual callbacks. Um, for example, every time he knocks upon the door of the Iceberg Lounge, that's something that is recalled over and over again. And there's something I want to mention yeah. in the spoilers, too. Matt Reeves has the visual element, the stylistic element, and as a result, there's a lot of stuff you're going to see in a film like his. And part of this is because I also really liked his take on the second two Planet of the Apes movies. Um what is it? Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes? Was that what they were? I have were? no idea. I've never watched any of them except for the terrible one with uh, 
with Mark Wahlberg. The only ones worth watching are I oddly enough. Well, okay, I shouldn't say that. Like I have a soft spot for the original, but I've never gone back to any of the sequels to the original. Um, so I love the original one, Camp and all, uh, Charlton Heston and all. Um, but the new trilogy was surprisingly good. But Rise of the Planet of the Apes is exactly what I'm saying. Like you watch it, and it's better than you expect, but it's still your average Hollywood su- summer popcorn flick. And then you immediately go into the sequel, and it's like, be it the writing or the shooting, it's like this film just suddenly is like leveled up. It's not your huh. typical summer blockbuster stuff, and it's kind of surprising that it released in that kind of a season and. Same especially goes for the last one. Um, hmm. And that's that's why, like, for me, the Batman was interesting because it's like, okay, that director did a lot of great stuff with the Planet of the Apes films. What can he do with Batman? Like, I was less interested in a new Batman film and more interested in a new Matt Reeves film. And hmm. that definitely, again, you could see it in his inspiration because David Fincher is that kind of a director. David Fincher has a style. It's not as obvious as someone like Sam Raimi's, but you get a sense of it as you watch his films. And you definitely get a sense of what he thinks or what he finds interesting. Because a lot of his films have to do with... I don't want to say have to do with human psychology, but it really has to do with like people. Um, and it even starts as early as uh, Alien 3 as much as people hate that and he will never talk about it either because it was such an (laughs) awful filming experience. Um, but, and you can even, and that's the thing, like you, 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 you can see his origins as a music video director with working with guys like Trent Reznor all the time for soundtracks. Um, or the, the, the crystal method was for one of the movies he did. I think crystal method was, um, fight club. I might be wrong. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we're kind of yeah, we kind of soundtrack, but that, no, no, that is the thing where the Batman is in this day and age. You won't expect them to give a big name like this to a director that has that kind of stamp. Um, then again, that seems to be what DC's been trying to do to catch up, right? Or they've been mixture like they've been juggling around like they did it with Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan. They're like, okay, we're going to do the opposite of the Marvel camp. And then that didn't work, so they were going to go to the Marvel camp. And now the Batman, they've kind of gone right back the other way. And I think, from my perspective, what I would prefer DC do, if they're going to try and compete with Marvel, especially right now, is, you know, like, oh, Marvel took, well, Edgar Wright and uh, Marvel split because Edgar Wright didn't have enough creative control over Ant-Man. You know what? We'll give him something to do. We'll let him we'll have let him make the atom with or, you know, yeah, full yeah. creative control now. Or yeah, what, no, I, what, what's that Superman villain that's got the silly name? Like if I were uh, to Mr. give Edgar Mr. Wright Mr. anything, Mr. yes. If I were to give Edgar Wright anything, that's the first character that comes to mind. Um, because that, that seems right up be, his alley. Uh, that'd but, be pretty but crazy. That's yeah. the thing. It's no, like, yeah. So like you know, there's definitely something there to it, right? And it's funny you mentioned Zack Snyder. And I feel like the, the the color palette that um, Zack Snyder likes. He, he, Snyder likes to do the like really like more like under desaturated color with like a pop of brighter color. 
I feel like Matt Reeves was just like, nah, just like everything. Just all crack with everything a great down. That like, was actually. He, he read, he read why, about how they used to like master the the old Batman the Animated series on like black paper or whatever. And oh he was like, gosh. yeah, let's do that. Like black. I can um, see that actually. Yeah. No, I, I can see that because this movie is. That's the funny thing. It's, like, it's not figuratively dark, which it is, but it's dark as in. There's a lot of scenes where you're kind of squinting at the screen, like, "Can I? Can I? Yeah. What, what's, what's going I, on I, back there?" Like, I didn't feel like it was ever too dark to make out what was going on, but there's just always like I, mean, I find it amusing that I feel like all these screenshots that are going by in the slideshow are brighter than the movie ever feels when you're watching it in theaters. Uh, yeah, but that's I mean that's something you can fix at home too. Obviously, on your yeah, you can turn up the brightness, but yeah, no, it is like there is a um, uh, like a certain there's definitely a style to it and a um, it's dark, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm like, I'm like losing, but it is like again, like you said, like there's there's a lot of great stuff happening visually that you don't even really notice the darkness so much that the the framing the filming where whereas you were saying Christopher Nolan doesn't give you often a lot of you know wallpaper desktop background shots throughout where this is kind of on the opposite where as long as you like grayscale the it's just filled with really well-framed, well-put-together shots that do feel like... And I guarantee you, you'll also find, because even though it's like really dark, and I was just joking about squinting, the thing is, my eye was always drawn to what they wanted me to see. Mm-hmm. And that's part of a very... like That's one of those important things that, like, unless you really pay attention to cinematography and stuff, most people won't notice. Um, how a shot is framed and how people are positioned to lead your eye from one area of the screen to the next... Or the lighting is set to bring your attention somewhere specific, um, and I guess that's where that's kind of where I was thinking. Where I said art house, or it's not necessarily the right word, but it's this right idea that the the cinematography and all these other aspects of the movie are all a plus in this somewhat obvious manner, where you can kind of. You can see it happening, I guess. With okay, so, see the funny thing is, I don't, when I think of art house, I think experimental. Um, so to me, it's like yeah. So it's not, not, not oh, necessarily. Oh, you mean just ex- competent filmmaking? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I think there's a difference. There's there is there's competent filmmaking, and then there's this like almost like exaggerated competent filmmaking. That where it's not just that you're, you know, your eye can, you're you following the action, well, easily following the action in the shooting, is that you can almost feel it in the way it's shot that the movie is doing this. Like, it, it I, I can't, it's hard to just, it's hard to describe and put my finger on. I don't, but the maybe, way, maybe, maybe this is a little different to me. Because for me, it's like, it's not art house, but artistic. There's very, it's very artistic in it, and so you're you're more easily able to break down those sorts of elements in the artistry of the shot and of the scene. See, the, I guess from my perspective, I look at that as being—I I would call it more than competent, right? Like 
Because to me, it makes like Matt Reeves feels like someone that's heavily inspired by the movie Brat Pack of the seventies, um, which was po- you know heavily inspired not only by a lot of the stuff going on in in Europe, but go um, what is it like the French New Wave? But then they're inspired by guys like Stanley Kubrick. Um, and you're going to have people that are inspired, inspired by Alfred Hitchcock and Orson Welles, who these directors were doing that with their movies, and which is why their movies stand, you know, still are enjoyable years later down the line. So, uh, actually, yeah, not a century later down the line, but decades for certain. Um, but then, like, you watch, like, a lot of these old movies that these guys made, like John Milius, uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, um... I can't remember all of their names. Um, of course, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg being some of them. Um, shoot, I feel like I'm definitely forgetting some key guys in there. But you have these directors that are coming out, and like every one of their movies is designed like this. And then the 80s happened. The 80s was a weird mixture. The 80s was a weird mixture of, you know... More directors like Paul Verhoeven, right? Paul Verhoeven is a European that hates, like, everything about American movies, which is one of the reasons he makes stuff like RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Um, and, and he confuses everyone because American audiences are just like, this oh, this is a great, great gory action movie. And don't understand that it's actually like meta commentary on action movies. Well, it's funny but the just... um, the the Netflix series, the movies that made us, has an episode covering the making of RoboCop, and he didn't want to do it at first because he started reading the script. And was like, I don't like it. This is everything I hate about American sit about America in general. He's like, This is everything I hate about America. I don't want to do this movie. He got talked into it though because uh, like I think it was his wife was like, No, you don't understand. Like. Keep reading it. Like you're you're gonna love it because it's everything you hate about America. Um, but that's the thing, yeah. But that's where the eighties was a weird mixture, and then the nineties I feel like is where you started seeing that less because then you had movies like Independence Day. Independence Day is a competently directed film. Independence Day is not a great directed film because it is that we're gonna churn out a blockbuster. Um you have, well, I think, it, you have something like, and I love, I really like the movie Men in Black, right? Men in Black doesn't do anything. Like it's got very little that's particularly well done in terms. I don't want to say well, anything particularly above average with how it's shot, right? Most of it is. It's, a, it's the same thing with. I think it, it happens with both movies and music during in that same kind of time frame where you. You move from like kind of just figuring things out and more experimental, um, you know, visionaries, whether we're talking about directors, writers, or we're talking about, um, you know, composers, musicians, and where they're doing technically interesting things in an experimental way. And as you move into the 80s, you start, it's almost like they start the, the money behind the studio starts figuring out the formula better and better. And as you move into the nineties, you start getting more of just like, okay, we figured out the formula to make a successful movie. So let's start churning him out. The same with, with pop music that we kind of figured out the formula. You know, we find a teenage girl 
we give her songs with vaguely suggestive lyrics and this kind of beat and this kind of composition and you know we're going to sell a million records you know we we make a movie with these sorts of plot points we're going to put these big act these sort of big action sequences in and you know this this structure we get a big name actor for the lead and a you know hot chick who maybe is their big name but they will they will be a big name after this movie who cares yeah <laughs> and boom it's a hit and so i think you you do start getting more of this factory created um media in general and moving will, through those periods and then you see backlash well, um, i will i will bring this back around uh because yeah it's not just a backlash you also see when too much of that attempt at the formula, right? When you start removing more control in the 2000s, when the the, the studios started trying to apply the formula more and more, um, and then eventually you have Iron Man. And why is Iron Man such a big hit? It's not because it's a big visionary movie. It's not because it's an evolutionary movie. It's because it finally did the formula well, when all of a sudden nobody could do the formula well. And now Marvel's become, you know, when Marvel was already the formula, but it was a good execution of it, it becomes its own formula, which brings us right back around to the Batman because simultaneously, you know, running parallel to Marvel was Christopher Nolan's Batman, which is why I think, you know, because they already were successful with Batman Begins, right? Batman Begins was already out before Iron Man came out, if I recall. Um, and The Dark Knight might have even been. So you have this director that's really good, competent. Um, again, doesn't have that photographic sort of visionary element, but definitely has the, I know how to shoot a truck flipping over with practical effects, no CG, you know. Um, that kind of spectacle. Um that's going to draw the audience in. You've got that going on um, on the Warner Brothers side, and then Marvel's doing their their thing. And you can understand why Warner Brothers at first would be like, you know what, we're going to go with Zack Snyder because he's different than Marvel, and right now difference working because Christopher Nolan worked mm. for us. Um, but it turned out they were still playing the game wrong. Like they 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 didn't understand. Whether like Zack Snyder, it's funny because I was just defending him in the Discord today. Because I, he's not great, but he's not bad either. He's got potential to be great, but he needs help, and I feel like too often he doesn't have that. Um, Justice League turned out to be one where he actually did pretty well for himself. Um, until you know disaster and other stuff happened like his daughter uh suiciding leaving the film and then warner brothers doing what they could with it yeah putting joss whedon and also basically getting joss like i mean not to defend joss whedon given certain things in the news recently with him but um you know at the same time he was basically hired to do what the studio wanted him to do and so Well, so I think part of the problem, like, just from the start, like, Zack Snyder, I think, would have done a great Batman movie. He's not. Zack Snyder, I've said this before, 
Zack Snyder is the guy you bring in for Civil War, like this the the DC equivalent of Civil War, which I guess was Batman versus Superman. But the problem was you needed somebody else to direct a Superman movie before you let Zack Snyder get your hands on Superman. See, the uh, I would disagree, but only so far as I actually liked Man of Steel to an extent. And I like some of what he wanted with Batman. Get well, we've we we are getting way off track at this point. We're getting we're getting way off track here. This is this is why this podcast is going to be two hours. Yeah, <laughs> we, we haven't even we're barely talking about Batman. Anyway, Matt Reeves, great director, great choice for Batman, um, and the way that his he has a great eye visually. The cinematography of the movie is excellent. Um, and it works despite the fact that, yeah, the movie is, um, you know, shot in Fifty Shades of Grey, mostly. I was just going to summarize my non-spoiler thoughts, which is um, that way, you know, people that listened up to this point can get themselves their recommendation, which is... For me personally, this is almost my favorite Batman film. I don't know if I have a favorite Batman film, but this is almost there. Um, there's a few things that prevent that, and I, I might change after I watch it again. But it is almost my favorite Batman film as we stand, and for a lot of reasons. Uh, some of which being that they take inspiration from Frank Miller's Batman Year One, which is, you know, again, Frank Miller might not be exactly a great name to bring up, but... His Batman Year One was a good, you know, first year Batman story. And this is Frank Miller's Catwoman. Um, and they also took influence from Jeff Loeb's Long Halloween as well. Um, so taken from those things, which are V2 Batman graphic novels I've read quite a bit of, that's a good thing for me. Um, but yeah, um, when yeah. The, if you haven't seen it yet, then once it's on HBO Max, I would highly recommend it. Definitely. Yeah. Very, very high. I would say I'm probably in the same boat as you. It, it's definitely like right now I like it better than the dark Knight, but I'm going to have to chew on it a little bit before I, I fully am, am, am confident in ranking it above Batman begins in the dark Knight in my personal Batman movie ranking. Yep. Um, and so. now, spoiler talk in which we reveal we have a new graphic, which just says spoilers in a fancy little label font. Um, spoilers. Spoilers, uh, in references to, uh, Penny Arcade. So, yeah. all right, so spoilers, if you don't want spoilers, stop listening now, stop watching now. Um, yeah, spoilers. Um, where to begin? So, I mean, it's kind of. It's one of those movies, too, where I feel like it's tough to... You were talking a bit about Carmine Falcone, but it's, you're pretty... I feel like you're pretty far into the movie before you realize how central Falcone's going to even be yeah. to the... Um, there's, a, there's so many pieces that build on each other throughout the film that it's... Um, Can I be honest? Yeah. I actually thought... Like, I knew a lot of people were saying... Uh, 
Penguin was going to be uh, Colin Farrell. But when I first saw the trailer, I was so fooled by Arkham, the Arkham games giving him a British, giving Penguin a British accent. I thought that was canonical. That Penguin has a British accent, canonical to everything. Uh, so when I heard um, Colin Farrell's accent being more like you know Italian gangster, I was like, oh, that's Falcone. He's going to do a good Falcone. And then it's like, no, he's Penguin. It's like, are you sure? And then looked it up. Yeah, he's Penguin. Um, but yeah, no, um, yeah, this was a lot of, I'm trying, I guess, you know what? I'll go with a combination of the arc and the, the shooting, because as we've, you know, indicated and hinted at, and it's funny cause we haven't even talked about the Riddler himself yet. Um, basically Batman's arc in this film is, you know, to become a hero cause he's not a hero. He's very much a vigilante. Um, and a vigilante isn't necessarily the same thing as a hero. So you have a shot early on where he's looking at the bat signal from the dark and towards the end of the film, he's looking up at that, at the helicopter as a bat signal at something covered in rubble in the daylight. And it's almost like he's on the exact opposite side of the screen, but it is a literal mirror image of that shot from the beginning mm. of the movie when he's looking up in the dark at nighttime and then at the end of the movie when he's looking up at the daytime covered in rubble but he's a hero at that point because this is also following the literal beacon of hope shot where he's carrying the flare torch in the water to lead um the other people which is yeah. again like a very great visual shot that they used in the trailer because it, it it's a visual shot right um like yeah, the- so that's that, and that's where I think this movie lost me a little bit was like the I guess part of it was because to me like the the arc they gave Batman was basically a, the Dark Knight arc again, right? Sort of, where, to some degree, because it's Batman like needs to be more than just a symbol of fear. Like he needs to be like this sort of Batman making the sacrifice for something greater to give people hope is, is kind of where you end up in the dark night. But right? he does that by becoming the bad guy, by taking the blame well, in, for in killing the dark, five in the guys. Dark night, like, he lets people believe that he's the bad guy to save their symbol of hope, essentially. Yeah, by letting um, Harvey Dent and, be the symbol of hope. And this one, he becomes the symbol of hope, which I suppose is is different, but it feels in a lot of ways the same, where it's that you sort of, I don't know, um, where you get this almost like, like I said at the time with The Dark Knight, there's this sort of Batman is like Jesus, like taking on the sins of Gotham upon himself. Um, only in this one, he sort of gets to... He gets to to rise. He doesn't just like end up with, Jeez. you know, the Dark Knight with the the sins weighing him down. So okay, uh, I'm not going to go too far with talking about that comparison. <laughs> that 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 little personal allegory projection <laughs> there. Um, I mean, you're right about the Dark Knight, where I can see that projection. It does kind of like feel like it's there, uh, but here, not so much. Um, and partially no, because again, like, not as much here. What do we have? We we have the big twist with the Riddler, where you know the Riddler thought they were working together the whole time, 
Um, which I, I'm going to go into that in a little bit. Cause I actually kind of love that, even though you can kind of see it coming too. Um, you have seen, I've like distracted myself from my actual point, um, or counter argument because the, the, again, you, you have this, I, I guess where I'm, I would find it sloppy is that the arc, cause they're chasing so many different things. You've got, um, mm-hmm. Gordon going on, you have Catwoman going on, and you have Batman finding stuff out about his past and his parents, and then the actual arc of becoming the hero instead of vengeance is at the very, very end. It's it's spending so much time drawing the parallel, drawing out the parallels between him and the villains. Um, and I guess what I would also need to go back and watch for is if there's so many parallels between him and the villains, then what is there between him and Gordon and him and Catwoman other than the possibility that Gordon is the, the you know, the angel and Catwoman is the devil, right? Catwoman wants to kill the one thug, but at the same time, Batman's already decided no killing in this, which is good, you know? Like he, he's, and I feel, I, I've wondered if that's actually, if that's something that they wanted to do, especially after the backlash to Batman versus Superman, you know, several scenes where he's like no guns, um, cause he doesn't kill, you know, do they want to like emphasize that because it's like, okay, no, this is Batman. Trust us. He's a little angry. He gets a little carried away when he punches someone in the face in a couple scenes, but this is still Batman. He doesn't kill people. Um, Just gives them severe brain damage. Um, and no, uh, I, I, I guess I get that. And I guess that's what it was to me. Is it didn't feel, it didn't feel like we were we were leading up to the point where he has to make the the turn and stop being vengeance and start being hope. It was yeah, like, well, it happens in a flash. It happens. Right. And I'm wondering if what they wanted was a uh, what's in the box moment, uh, which they kind of have actually now that I think about it. Um, but it's like the when, best when, moment, when they have the best moment in the entire movie. It's the like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> like yes. that's. That's the best moment in the entire movie. Yes. There's like there's so much happening in that scene and that That scene oh, is man. definitely that that's probably one of the I, I would not be surprised if that's one of the first scenes that were written in this film. Um or something. Like if there or if there was a lot of time spent getting the 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 dialogue to that scene right. Cuz okay, you know what? Let's let's skip let's skip over to the the Riddler, right? Cuz this is is this the Riddler? Like, as we like, this is like a complete reinvention of the character in a lot of ways. And I, I've actually wondered when I came out of the theater, is this going to redefine the character as the aforementioned men- of uh, I, uh, Iceman, yeah, of uh, Mr. Freeze hmm. has been reinvented? Because there's elements of him that are still true to what makes the Riddler the Riddler. They made him more grounded, and he's definitely more violent. Um, and he's got that jigsaw, uh, seven element of like interesting ways to kill someone. But in that scene towards the end, 
you have that because what is one of the, what is one of the traits of the Riddler and just about the, in the cartoon and the Arkham series? I guess I should say of Paul Dini's Riddler, and it's it's he always has that one misleading assumption or something. He's almost there. He's almost there, right. and here he's almost there because he's going the entire film assuming that Batman's working with him. He thinks they're a team. And that felt so appropriately Riddler to me. Um, now, granted, the funny thing is for being a film where Batman gets to play detective more than he's ever had in the films, he's kind of bad at it. <laughs> like They even make yeah. a joke about it. Like he, we, he we finally get to see him playing detective. And there's a couple moments where it's like, oh, look, there's a USB drive in the car. And it's like, oh, hey, he's a detective, you know. But then he's making so many wrong assumptions. And then by the very end, he's sitting there not like – because let's face it. How – did you, you – you had to have figured out that, you know, Riddler was at least manipulating and leading – Batman, right? Like maybe not the twist that right. Whittler thought they were working together, but it's like, dude, you're you're you need to stop doing exactly as the Riddler said. But then again, most of the film, it's it's different, right? It feels like you you you're trying to solve the clues to get closer and everything like that. So yeah. I'll let you go. Yeah, no, that's an interesting aspect because what I think was interesting though, I think if you if you dress him up in green tights, he's not that different from he's not as manic as you know, I guess you know the the, the Batman the animated series Riddler or, or those other depictions, but the core elements are still there, right? He's like you said the 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 one. The one bad assumption that ends up being his undoing that lets Batman outsmart him finally, or the, you know, the 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 trail of clues that where where Batman seems like he's playing right into the Riddler's hand as he's solving the clues because the Riddler wanted Batman to solve the clues and this whole idea. There's always this this little bit of respect. For from the Riddler to Batman, that Batman's like the one guy that the Riddler thinks is smart enough to figure it out. Uh, you know, even if that's actually the, the one twist. That's actually the one twist to the regular. Because what is the Riddler's goal in all of the Paul Dini, especially? So it's to outsmart the Batman. He wants to have that one puzzle that the Batman can't solve. He wants to make that one riddle that really stumps him. And yet here, it's the opposite. Here, it's trust that Batman's smart enough. Now, the funny thing is both of them, because Riddler wasn't smart enough to figure out that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Um, and yet, at the same time, Batman wasn't smart enough to piece together that he was playing right into Riddler's hands. But um, Right, and, that he was being there, manipulated. Yeah. And there was definitely too much stuff at the very end there that wasn't really, like, he didn't figure out until that point in the end, um, until that meeting. But, no, it was a really, like, that is the best scene of the whole film. And that, 
it's funny because I, I told you there were some that kind of took me out of the film. Um, we'll not discuss it here. Uh, but that scene brought me right back in. That scene was like, yo, this is great. This is so, and part of it's the, 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 the very subtle music. Um, oh, the soundtrack. We didn't get to talk about that. The oh, this, this, the, oh yeah. man, because that, that, that's one of those things. Cause it's not like it's a great, like John Williams soundtrack, but I loved how everything has a theme. Batman's is a very simple, like bomb, 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 bom, theme in different tones. But I love how whenever he's approaching, you can hear his, like they use his boots and they almost sound like yeah. a Western Cowboys boots. Um, I love that little trait. Um, Again, we're talking about like stylistic stuff, right? Like, right, like the sound really design, the sound film. design mixed with the sound, the soundtrack, the use of Ave Maria for um, the Riddler. I, I think Catwoman's even got her own theme. It's so, like the different characters have their own themes that will play throughout, and that's part of like again, like some of that, some of that like redone element. Like again, like the different ways he keeps coming into. Um, the iceberg lounge, you know, knocks once and there's your greeting. He goes a second time. He goes as Bruce Wayne. And then the final time he goes, right? Like, I think yeah. there's like four different times he goes to the iceberg lounge, but that's the thing is like, you have all of these different, um, executions of the same idea that it becomes a motif kind of a thing. And, oh, yeah, this, oh, I wish I mentioned that the non-spoiler part because that's like dang, that's like one of those things that you want to say when it comes to like a great filmmaker. Yeah. Um, we got too caught up in film history to actually yeah. talk about the movie we were talking about. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think of other things that are um are, are worth noting uh, about the. We've already kind of talked a little bit about the you know the similarities between Falcone and. And Bruce Wayne, and who's the other? Who's the other gangster? I just totally lost it. Other than uh, Penguin, you mean? Yeah. So there, there's like a third. Was it Maroney? Like they, he's not really in the film. He's just mentioned. I think right, it's Maroney. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. It's Falcone and Maroney, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. But yeah, no. So like it's a uh, Penguin. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, we haven't really talked about Penguin much, but. I, I liked how, and I've said this. I think I've said this in every, to everyone I've talked to the movie with. The I've always said the the two like the biggest mistake that I feel like in particular happens to Batman in movies is over mythologizing the characters, and this is like Tim Burton did this like pretty terribly. Um, I think of the worst of anyone. And just having the penguin's just a guy. It's a guy. He's a mobster. He waddles a little bit. They call him the penguin because they... He's got a limp and he's got a scar on his face. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Great. He's just a guy. But also, he's just like another character. He he can be in the film without being like... Now, if he has to, he needs to end up in Arkham Asylum at the end for some reason. Or end up in jail at the end. Yeah, it's a compare him. Like, you could have him in every movie after this serving this, a similar role versus how they feel like they shoehorn Scarecrow into all three of the Nolan films where it never felt like you got the action. Like, you never felt... I never felt like I got a good Scarecrow out of the Nolan films. And I was disappointed because I actually really liked Scarecrow as a villain. 
Um, but it's right. like, yeah, he's just like shoehorned in each of the films. He, he has most of his role in Batman Begins, but even then, it's like he's just kind of a mook. Um, he's basically this it, it, better written, but he's no different than Bane in the Schumacher Batman and Robin. He's just there, kind of a thing. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. After Batman Returns, it had to be like you need to have two big nemeses in the in the films, even though you don't really need two. But here, you're right. It's like we have what, what characters do we have? We have Batman, the Riddler, Penguin. That's the thing. Falcone, Morone. These are villains, and like they're not the super villains, but they are frequently in the Batman mythos, especially during the '80s and early '90s. I think. Um, yeah. And what I think it actually ends up being is a good way to do this world building where you're introducing characters that in sequels are going to play an important role and you've you've built that up without sort of I don't know. We don't need an origin this... for the penguin. We know what he is. Right. He's a criminal. He's a gangster. Um and we Right, in the same way you build like Jim Gordon is somebody that's, you know, been in all of the, the Batman movies in some way or another. And Everyone knows who Jim Gordon is at this point. Yeah. Right, right. But like, so, and I guess you sort of, you build up some of these background characters that are heroes. I don't think any of the Batman films have done a great job of building and maintaining the rogues gallery. You know what? They're, that's, so I'm, I'm just... Because every every film in some ways kind of set on being an origin story of some sort. Um, Batman versus Superman, not so much, but it's still complete mishandling of the character for multiple reasons, even if without the fact that he kills people. Um, but here, that you know his origin. You know the origins of most of these characters. This isn't, therefore, they don't have to tell an origin story. These characters have their origin set. Now we can tell a story with them together and with, again, like we have Batman having to learn to become a hero rather than being vengeance, right? Um, this is the story about how Batman learned to be a beacon of hope rather than uh, a, a figure of terror um, kind of a thing. And... You're right, Matt Reeves does that great because Catwoman doesn't have an origin story in this. She's already Catwoman. She's a cat burglar. We see that she's got acrobatic skills. We don't have to be told how she developed them. We just know that she does this stuff to survive. Um, and we get a sense that she herself has an honor code. She's not an awful person, but she's been, you know, she's had a rough life. Like we, we can infer that. We don't need to be explained. When I was a little girl... My right. daddy beat my mommy. Like we don't, we don't, we don't need that story. We don't need and I think to that's, know. That's, that's also, I think, where the parallel between Catwoman and Batman comes in, where they've both decided to. They both have a code. They both have decided to sort of take matters into their own hands. That Bruce Wayne can't sit back and just let Gotham tear it apart. You know, um, Selena Kyle can't just you know sit back while she starves or her family starves or whatever else and so they've they've sort of taken agency in their sort of reverse roles they've their codes of honor look a little bit different or a lot different and what they actually do you know what 
so I lied because we actually do get that history of Catwoman, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do kind of get a little bit of Catwoman history. But we don't get like a Michelle Pfeiffer getting pushed off a skyscraper or whatever. However, and she yeah, back by to hikes. life by dozens of cats. Like we don't get like yeah. that kind of origin story. We get like I am a person with human experience that has led me to this life. We get just enough um, to get her motivation for certain actions. Right, I mean, just just enough to get the motivation. But yeah, so I think that makes so I think I think we should probably try to wrap up at some point. But I think we should oh, probably talk a little bit more about the the ending where to me I wouldn't say the movie falls apart, but it doesn't fall apart. I mean, it doesn't nearly fall apart. It it feels like they could have the way that the 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 final kind of Maroni showdown, along with the capture of the Riddler, plays out. It felt like the end that of the was movie. fairly climactic, and could have been made a little bit more climactic and been the end of the movie. And the nice thing but, too is it, it it would have been a nice climax because it's not that Batman saves. I guess that's one of the reasons maybe you couldn't have it as a climax. Batman saves Catwoman, but he saves Catwoman from herself more than she does from Falcone, right? He keeps her from being from sinking as low and making the and dealing the killing blow, like she, he keeps her from being one of them in a sense, and that is. Important, but I guess they, they, they pay that back then because you're right. It's like, and I wonder like if it would have been fine if you just, okay, explosives that blow up the, the wall that bring the water in. And now he's got to try and learn how to actually help people. But no, you then have these guys that dress up all like, and it's like, is this a callback to the Adam West days or the goons dressed up like their boss? Or is this like... You just yeah, have just, the group of guys, and they're all going to be taking pot shots, and you have all this stuff. Yeah, like, that whole, I yeah, I just didn't get it. like the, the, the yeah. And I that thought was the one part of the movie I didn't get. What's also really like, weird is like I thought you were going to have like all of them have their moment, right? Like Batman does a lot of the fighting, but then Catwoman's going to have her moment, and then Gordon's going to have his moment because Gordon disappears to like help early on, like before Catwoman even does. And then Gordon is nowhere to be seen until everything's already done. Actually like that, that felt a little weird to me too. Or it's like, why it's like, why don't all three of them get a moment? Like, why don't all three of them get to serve a purpose? Um, but yeah, it, it did. It just like, and maybe, maybe there's, there could have been a couple tweaks to that, but that's the one part of the film to me that didn't, didn't quite land. And I just, it, it felt like there was some kind of like Batman climbing the wire. That part, like it, it's supposed to really, felt- it's supposed to be the part that really hammers home. And that's the thing. Like, again, I wonder if you needed it, needed as much as they put in there. Like, could you just have had the flood where he's like, Oh crap. Oh crap. Oh crap. You know? Cause isn't it enough that, Riddler thought he and Batman were the same. Did you really need, you know, him to just punch someone's face out and then for them to say, I am vengeance to like really hammer it home? Or is that like a, the audience is too stupid to get it. Otherwise change it. 
reshoots? Like, is that one of those things? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It just feels, or maybe it really is. Like, I don't know. Like, because that's one of those. That's because that's me in like where film is now versus where it used to be. Once upon a time, that shootout in Car, Car- uh, the Falcon, Carmine Falcons, that's a completely legitimate ending to a blockbuster movie. Now it feels like, even though, let's face it, this is still toned down compared to most Hollywood blockbusters these days. This is still, oh, the city's in danger. We got to save the mass population of of people in the city. It's like, do you really need to? And that's, again, where it's like the film has been spending so much time, taking so long to be about this turn. And normally I, I'm, I'm actually fine with the film taking its time with stuff. Like, I, I was surprised when a lot of, yeah. I heard a lot of uh, people come away from this movie Talking about, you know, it's very long. They just linger on shots. They don't need to. I like that pensive pace. Um, as yeah, long as it's too. shot really well and done right. And this film has that. There was never a moment where I was thinking a scene was taking too long. But by the time I walked out of the film, I was really not sure how I felt about that ending climax. Now, the thing is, I feel like I still like it better than... The two, uh, granted, part of that is just because of my pessimism towards people. I like it better than the two boats in the dark night. Because again, like that's where it comes down to the script needs to contrive itself to provide this spectacle well, summer blockbuster Hollywood, and even though it's not summer. Well, so I think with the with the whole point that what what with the idea of the, the two boats scene is. Is who's right? Is Batman right? Does Gotham deserve to be saved? Or is Joker right? And no one deserves to be saved. Burn it to the ground. Um, that's I think that's what the two boat scene is supposed to do. And that the, you know, the people, yeah, average people won't happy. blow up the boat, even knowing it's full of prisoners. And even these, these convicts, there's enough of them that have enough that are honorable enough to say no. We're not gonna. We'll die. We were not gonna blow up a boat full of, you know, regular people and families. And like, I'm enough of a pessimist that, that I believe both of the boats would have been blown up by each other. Right. It's so possible. That's where I. That's why I kind of dislike think, it. But. I think that's still that's still part of what what had been up to that point the central conflict, which is you know Batman and Joker for all their similarities. That that's like sort of their central. Batman difference. believes the city can be saved, and Joker's like, no, no. Like that's what makes um, well, that's what makes him fascinated by Batman because Batman's the only person that he hasn't found a breaking point. Um, right. So so, and I think where this comes in is, I don't, I don't feel like the. The actual climax the sort of, is not thematically fitting. Right. That's what it is. It does, doesn't fit thematically. Like, I like the idea. It just doesn't fit thematically to me with the rest of the movie. And I feel like it, it takes... I, it's you know, it takes like, well, something I liked about the movie was that it was, it was a Batman story. And it was kind of, in a lot of ways, not too unlike the, the sort of the Batman, the animated series type type stories where you, you know, it was a, a more 
more mature darker take on that kind of story and i was okay with that being where you can have an award-winning episode about how robin's actually in love with a female creation split off of clayface like i don't even know how to describe that but it's like and it sounds silly to describe it but when you're watching that movie i mean that that episode as a kid and it's like holy crap like this is big this is heavy um yeah, it's like the, the animated series is willing to deal with some heavy stuff. And it didn't always have to threaten the entirety of Gotham. And here we had a Batman story that was about these characters and it didn't have to threaten Gotham. I mean, Gotham was already threatened. Like, right, there's like all this corruption inside of Gotham that's revealed. And there that that's yeah, that that's where it's like okay, what is Bruce Wayne going to do about this? What is Batman going to do about this? And they give you the ending that makes it sure that everyone knows that Batman's learned a lesson and he's going to do better from now on. Like, that's the thing. And even for me, part of it is like, it was so grounded that the second you see like three guys up in the rafters with matching uniforms, that just seemed too silly to me. Yeah, I think I guess what it is, it felt, it felt, it felt silly. It it just did not fit the tone with the rest of the movie, and like it's there, it's to conclude the themes of or the journey, the arc, but it's done in such a way that it just does not feel like it belongs in this movie, and that's one of the reasons where again, like if that ending were different. Would this unquestionably be my favorite Batman movie? Um, would I be sitting here telling you I think it's the best Batman movie? And I don't know because that end is enough to just right out. Um, oh, and of course, um, one more scene we got to discuss. And I also linked you a cut scene because. Oh. Yeah, this is the other thing that's that's maybe left a sour taste in my mouth at the end, and that's the Joker. I did yeah. I did watch the 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 deleted scene for all you could actually understand of what he was saying. That's part of the problem. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely think we need to Stop. we need to drop the Joker for a little while. Yes, I. We're just nobody like. Honestly, Robert Pattinson gets credit from me because his recommendation, like, because they interviewed him and they asked him, like, well, who would you want to see in a sequel? And he's like, Court of Owls or Calendar Man? And I'm like, Calendar Man might be a little too similar um, to what we already just dealt with uh, to Riddler. But it's like, dude, Court of Owls in a Matt Reeves execution, that would be interesting. That would actually be, I would, I would love that. That Court of Owls would be great. I... So and here's here's the problem. It's like Robert Pence is the one coming out with a great idea. It's like, come okay. It's like, you know what? This guy, take note. Take note. It's like, executives, listen to this man. He knows what he's talking about. Like, like so the, I think the issue with the recent, the, the, the Jared Leto Joker and now this Joker to some degree is the Joker is a clown. He's a comedian. 
Yes. And and what both of them have lacked, they they took what Ledger what Ledger had did was what Nolan and Ledger did was he was dark and twisted and chaotic, but he was still he still had that clownishness about him. Yes. And let me show you a that, magic trick, right? Like Yeah. Yeah, it was like this he's this evil clown kind of thing. And I feel like it, watching the the first Suicide Squad movie and watching what the ad, added scenes of him in the Snyder cut of the Justice League, he doesn't oh, have it's he's dark and and this is feeling like more of the same of what Leto gave us was this the the dark twisted chaos of Ledger's Joker without without any of that comedian nature to him. Yeah. Uh, and I and that's and I think that's at the root of why I just I don't want to see I don't want to see that Joker. Like I don't want to see a movie about that Joker. No, it, me neither because they don't that's the thing. I think they try to focus on getting a good laugh from the Joker, but it's like why is the Joker laughing to begin with? And this is also where I feel like anyone that's going to write the Joker needs to actually watch Batman Beyond the Return of Joker because that might be one of the better things as well. Because like I just remember towards the end, right, where Terry McGinnis Batman is trying to fight this Joker and Bruce Wayne's in his ear giving him advice and he's like, He's like, he's going to try and make you laugh or whatever. Don't get distracted. He's going to try and make you, he's always cracking jokes or whatever. And Terry McGriff is like, wait a minute, I make jokes. So the secret weapon is to actually make fun of the Joker instead of, you know, be that stone faced Batman that cracks. It's like, it's like, how do you play up with the idea? And that's a great way to play with the, 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 the dynamics between Batman and Joker. And here, all it is, is this, and that's the thing, like, you get better, with that one cut scene, you get looks at him where the face feels even more mangled and the teeth look more gross. And it's like, no, like... People didn't love the lines about his scars because of the scars themselves in the the Nolan Batman, right? Like, who decided this needs to be what the Joker is, right? Like, and that's the thing. It's like, we're talking about a character that, like, like yeah, like, Heath Ledger's is a darker interpretation of Tim Burton's Joker, but it's still that he dresses up in a nurse's uniform for crying out loud with a wig right. and everything. Like it's the fact that he doesn't take any of it seriously. And that's these jokers are too serious. Um, so almost like I want to ask them why so serious. Oh God. But that's the, 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 the this, this, they, they need to step back and not do this joker. Um, and that's the thing too, because at the very end, he—it's like he's already teaming up with Riddler or something. And it's like, no, let's not do, let's not do. Actually, one of the reasons the Court of Owls is interesting as a concept is because we've already dealt with this Batman as Batman and how he needs to learn to become a hero. Now we need him to learn how to be Bruce Wayne, 
And Court of Owls is a good opportunity because what are what are the Court of Owls? They are an underground organization running Gotham effectively, right? Because I've not read the comics, but I know enough about who they are. I, they're the new villain of Gotham Knights. Um, and who better to be an antagonist to Bruce Wayne trying to do what he can in Gotham, right? Um, than the Court of Owls. Someone that only he knows about, and he's got to use his Batman persona to try and fight, but he's still trying to fight them in the daylight, too. Like... That's the direction you go with a sequel. You need to think, what have we done with the character and what needs to be done next? And maybe that's part of the problem is we need to now, like we've we've done The Batman. Now we need Bruce Wayne, the movie or something like that. We need, we need the, we need the movie that focuses on Bruce Wayne and deals more with what it means to be Bruce Wayne and how to try and de- help Gotham as because even the Nolan movies, even the Nolan movies, he's Bruce Wayne for a decent amount of it, but it's never really about what Bruce Wayne can do. Um, and I don't know if we've actually really dealt with that in movie form. So that's your next step from my perspective. I, 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 I agree. And yeah, I, Just, I, I definitely. <laughs> That we, we need more. We probably yeah, both we had the same reaction. I have actually read at least the first section of the the Court of Owls arc. Um, I I never finished it, so like, but yeah, no, we need we need Bruce Wayne. I think the Court of Owls would be great. It's something we haven't seen on screen yet, and it's again, it is something that fits with a style that I think could take the things that worked about the Batman. And do it on a larger scale in the way that sequels do involve, you know, existing characters and villains that have been set up in interesting ways. Like, the like maybe due to the manipulation of the Court of Owls, Catwoman becomes more of an antagonist to Batman in this one. Well, not even just that. Um, you have uh, the angle of the Penguin already, because he's now filling right. a power vacuum of Carmine Falcone, right. who had Penguins. then wiped out Maroni, and now the Circle of Owls can come in and make contact with Penguin and be like, listen, this is what you're going to do. You know, that kind right. of a thing. You you right. already you have, have that you territory. Can have Peng- right, exactly. You can build on what you've already created with Penguin, with Catwoman, with the underground of Gotham. So yeah, so I think we need to to sh- shelve the Joker um, as the, for as long as we possibly can, and and do something like Court of Owls for the sequel. I can only hope. I can only hope social media and other things. Like I can only hope the general reaction to the Joker in this was negative, and especially to the cut scene they released was negative. Granted, I didn't even look at the comments for that. I'm. Sure, you will have many, many comments that are like, oh, I got chills or something like that. But we definitely need uh, – we need uh, we need a negative reaction because what I would hope is – so I can have faith in Matt Reeves um, huh. or more faith uh, and not have my faith hurt is for Joker to have been a corporate mandate, part of reshoots, and for – them to be like oh crap people don't like this we're gonna step away from this um and then i mean 
it's such an unnecessary scene too. It's clearly there to try and bait sequels um, that they really don't need to do in that manner. It's the, the stupid whole multiverse thing. Like, stop trying to have your 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 your. Let me tell you about Shield Initiative thing. Like, stop having that Hollywood. Um, sure. But also, that and that's my big concern, right? Because what is like. What does Hollywood want to bank on? And would they be too scared because who's heard of the Court of Owls outside of comic books? Like, because no one's done Court of Owls before, they'd be afraid to do it. But that's exactly one of the reasons why you should do it, because it's finally something new that no one's seen before on the big screen. Like, I, I mean, again, like, I would love to see a correctly done scarecrow i don't think matt reeves batman is going to be the one for scarecrow so let's just not not him we've already done i love two-face but we've already done two-face um maybe introduce harvey dent in the next one and have him as a possibility for a two-face in a third film or something like i don't know but like let's let's step away from some of this stuff some of the guys we've already seen and let's do someone that's not been done before and fits this universe. Um, and so, and that's the thing, I'm sure there's more than just court of owls you could do. Um, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of options for, for, um, for village. I just think that's one that comes to mind as a, as a more recent creation and something that hasn't been done. And I don't know, but anyway, so I'm trying to think if I have a second pick for for a uh, a Batman villain to do. I would kind of like to see Reeves take on Mister Freeze. I don't know if you can. I feel like even Christopher Nolan was too grounded for Mister Freeze in a lot of ways. Mister Freeze is kind of like how do you explain that? Because it's very it's like it's definitely more sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll scrap, scrap Mr. Freeze. The, someone like Character Man, Victor Zaz, but these don't feel like major villains. That's part of the issue. Um, Hush, maybe, but I feel like if you wanted to do Hush in the Reeve style, you'd well, really you, have to get rated you R. You need to establish Bruce Wayne more, I think, in order to do Hush. And yeah. And also at the same time, like, wouldn't it be convoluted? We've already established this whole orphanage thing now you're gonna get like i don't know like i I don't know court of owls just seems perfect you don't need to do anything that would convolute his history like you did with like hushwood um yeah so i think that's it i mean clearly this is a very good entertaining movie the the end the ending portions do kind of leave a sour note and that's the worst place you want the sour note to be. Cause that's where like when you finish the movie, that's setting the tone of how you feel about it. You forget how you felt up until that point. This is how you feel now. Um, but I'll see again when I watch it again on HBO max, you've already seen it twice yourself. No, I saw it once. Oh, I thought you said you saw it twice. No, I thought you said you saw it with your work buddies and then you went again on oh, whatever. No, you know, maybe I say I. I don't know. I, I mean, we must have gotten confused. I did not see it twice. Oh, so um, we need I to will see like. It. I would like to watch it again. Yeah. Yes, we we, we and then we'll come back and we'll do another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, the next one's going to be Sonic Two, right? You can't see my face. Are you going to make me go to the movie theater 
where there's going to be children squalling. So many children. Children uh, are the worst. I mean, the, um, the 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 teenagers in this movie theater were bad enough. Like, uh, go in the yeah. You just go in the middle of the day so there's no teenagers. No, I just gotta wait until it's rentable, like Spider Man No Way Home, which is only hopefully next week going to be rentable. So we'll see. Um, all right, but, maybe we can talk about Spider Man No Way Home and the death of the MCU or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I've gone from like I've gone from like MCU stan to like the MCU is going to die and get rebooted <laughs> in probably and then within the next ten years we're going to get a reboot. We'll um, have to see. We'll have to see. But that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But anyway, I, it's funny we actually totally agree on this movie. Basically, um, it turns out, yeah. Where you was, I feel like that's kind of unusual. We're usually these days, yeah, it's kind of unusual these days. Where it's like, oh man, this movie's great. And you're like, man, well, that, I didn't that tells like you, it. That, that tells you this is how good it is. That despite Chris and my disparate views on some as some cinema and other things, like this really hit a lot of the right buttons. Uh, as a superhero movie and just as a movie period. I mean, I think it uh, also, so definitely- I think it also says a lot about us and maybe what we're regularly exposed to that. You're like, this is like an art house film. And I'm like, not really. Like <laughs> our art house was the wrong word, but like <laughs> there's something anyway. Um, Academy. Like, <laughs> nah, this would never. I, I would not see. Okay, this. I mean, not to not to get back into it, but it kind of in the same way that like, <laughs> like I think of like a Wes Anderson film or something like that, where it's very much devoted to the visual style and other like. It understands sorry, that now, film as a visual medium. Well, not just that, but like you talk about Kubrick, like. Like the way that like Kubrick would use like symmetry in like a very like obviously every good filmmaker is going to have symmetry and you know ratios and that sort of thing in mind when they're doing a shot. But like Kubrick would make it like just so incredibly stunningly symmetrical when he would do certain shots or something like that, like the twins in the hallway in, in the shining or something like that. And um, that he in, intentionally shot it to look like an impossible hotel. Like he, right. he literally, and he would break the laws of reality so that like there, right. there's a room that should not have a window and yet it's got a window to the outside. Right. But so like, not as that, that's that degree, but anyway, so oh, we don't have to get into it. I, I felt like there's some element of that in the shooting um, in the not just not just film is a visual visual media, and so we need to create well constructed shots. But in that, we need to put on display the art of filmmaking. We need to to make it just crystal clear how. Anyway, anyway, we should just close out. We don't need to get back into this. <laughs> but I uh, this is a good talk. Um, even if we got totally off the rails like seven times. And it's good that we didn't even say everything we could have discussed. I it mean, is. I think that's a good sign of uh, something, too, is when we spend almost two hours and we still have more we could say. So, yeah, if you see me on the street, feel free to, you know, random listener, 
feel free to grab me and uh, tell me your thoughts. Someone's going to grab you and be like, what do you mean? I thought it was, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought it was a great ending. You know, swear to me. Oh, God. Um. <laughs> Robert Pattinson was a terrible choice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was oh, a man. fine choice. I think he's actually pretty decent, but he's also different. And I actually kind of appreciate that, too. I appreciate that it's a different Bruce Wayne than we've seen without yeah. having, be, without being too different. If that makes sense. Yeah, All right. no, I definitely agree. All right. Well, I am signing off. You can you're you're welcome to stay on the stream and talk at your Oh yeah, stream, I, so. I'm here to stay on uh keep talking you the, can the talk poor till people. Midnight. The poor people on the uh listening <laughs> through through uh iTunes are gonna be sitting here like, My goodness, is this gonna be like a three hour podcast of just him? Like no. <laughs> All right, but no, and of course, uh basking tunes in just at the very end or comments are just at the very end yes thank you ursa the siren and basking for listening and thank you dear audio only podcast listeners and thank you for everyone watching the vod too um for listening to the discussion um i hope you guys get to enjoy the batman when it's on hbo max if you have hbo max or renting it when you can because it's worth it it's worth a watch i think even if you're tired of uh of superhero movies it's, and I would also, I mean, hey, if you want to taste the Matt Reeves, go rent the Planet of the Apes movies that he did, the second two, and maybe the first, you know, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, just to know what's going on, but yeah, you get a taste of like what his filmmaking style is, and if you don't like those movies, if you think they're boring, then maybe, maybe you'll think the, the Batman's boring too, so there you go. All right, everybody have a good night, and hopefully we'll see you again soonish. Yeah, have a good night. Yeah.